You just heard Hammerhead from the Doomsday for the Deceiver record from Flotsam and Jetsam. This is the Thrash Extravaganza Patreon bonus episode number one, Flotsam and Jetsam, Jetsam, Doomsday for the Deceiver, and No Place for Disgrace. And we don't have any disgrace here on the Requiem Metal Podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Jason. That was funny. That was funny to watch. That was a that was a that was a war of words right there that Mark was in, and that's We're not fine. Talking about Halford. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's because. Uh... Hey, welcome this... Patreon fans. That was a great. That was a fight. That was a fight reference. I love that record. By the have way, have you read, not to completely go off the rails, but have you uh, read that biography yet? No, it's fantastic. Yeah, I've seen it advertised. It's uh, way more than I ever expected to hear because usually they're pretty tight band as far as like personality shit and personal lives it's all on the open it's very it's great really was, what, were, what were a couple of revelations to spoil it for our patreon well just like how how open he was about his gayness was very refreshing because it was not ever talked about and all of like the references that we assumed like talking about what certain songs are about they were but yeah. also that he had like a, a fairly healthy like happy life yeah, he was, really like a, he was in like a he was like a really he still is in a long term long term relationship. relationship with somebody, so, uh, but just hearing it because I, I read uh, KK's uh, thing as well, which there's not that much differing issues with all that stuff as far as like you know what people said happened and all that. But yeah. Rob's is just very like he seems to be very happy with where he's at. And it's That's definitely cool. it's a good read as far as that and the I know me are two of my favorites that have come out the last ten years or so. You people who have time to read books. I don't read them. It's or all listen. audiobooks. Yeah, no. I need to do that. I need to stop listening to so many podcasts. I was doing a mural uh, in Troy. Uh-huh. Uh, and then just had, I've listened to that the whole time. It was 12 hours or something. Nice. Of Rob Todd. He, he narrates it as well. Does he really? It's, it's wonderful. So no, nothing. What was the most surprising thing then? Was there like a big like, huh, like an aha, like, man, I never knew that or never would have thought that? Not, not as much. It was more just like, I kind of thought that. But like it was just nice for the openness of, of everything. How much does he talk about fight? Fair amount. Voyeur and all that stuff. It goes through the whole career. Sweet. Yeah. Does he have fond memories of a fight, or did he feel he was pulled into like directions that were more trendy than what he actually wanted to do? No, he he wanted to do. He was really interested in, in that in uh, electronic music and ministry and nine inch nails and all that shit. And actually, tried to get Trent Reznor to do that the record the record oh, shit. For him, so. the first one or the second one you're talking you got to be the talking first, about the uh the fir- the two record because there's fight war words which it wasn't is like fight, it was uh the two. second band two yeah the, they did just yeah. one song or i always thought they were voyeur was the band is that the name of the album that's the name of the album okay yeah i never heard that record it's i got it from uh i got a promo of it back in the day and i was not very I, that was a stupid time when you thought you could either be a maiden or a priest fan and i was a maiden fan that is true so yeah. a lot of my life is ruined We've, often, so rich we've often talked about a lot of our regrets <laughs> with some of those classic bands. But know? I have a priest tattoo and not a maiden tattoo. So really? I have no Eddie tattoos yet. I've thought about getting another tattoo to balance myself out. And the one that like combines a lot of like me and my interests, but it's awful big. Is I think it would be big. And so I'd need to figure out where to put it, like on my back maybe, or I don't know. Ouch. But I the power slave. It's a good one because of being a history teacher, being a world traveler, being a metalhead. It's yeah. sort of like a Venn diagram for all that. You're talking the whole cover, some aspect of the cover for it to be effective. 
there's got to be a, a good chunk of the cover in there i feel like but i yeah. don't i don't know i'd have to really think about it because that's a lot there's a lot going on there. yeah i was just gonna do a um, piece of mind head that's which i could do that head. i could just do that and simplify <laughs> my whole life but again i yeah. was i was you i could do a pharaoh eddie yeah i could do pharaoh eddie would yeah. pharaoh eddie alone look cool or would it look kinda... i think so that's one of the few action like reaction figures i bought from the iron maiden line got it you see my uh King Diamond and the, I do have King Diamond that I stopped. But the you, Slayer thing is great. You have the Slayer goat from no. Evil Has No Boundaries and Show. It's one of the, the most ridiculous covers that I love. It's, more. It's, I've got a tattoo of that. I'm that I kind of want. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I already have one Slayer tattoo, so I haven't gotten that one. But that would be that would be pretty killer. Yeah, you do one of every every record. Oh yeah, that that's why yeah the seasons had just do a do a Slayer sleeve. Yeah, <laughs> just, just all Slayer. Yeah, Sam would dig that. He's yeah, our, he's our tattoo guy. So we um we are in the midst, obviously, as our patrons, I'm sure, know of this Thrash Extravaganza series, and so um, we wanted to give you guys some special stuff for being supporters of us, and um, this gave us an opportunity to delve into some other records and some other bands uh, that are exclusive for you guys. And so uh, Flotsam and Jetsam was one that when I put up a Patreon survey on the Patreon page. Uh, it got a it got a handful of votes, um, and so I thought, well, we'll we'll save this one for for you guys, extra special, extra special, because we love you guys, yeah. And what's kind of fun about this is, um, maybe so far in this thrash series, this was the band that I've had the most surprise with. Um, I would agree far, with you thus yeah. far. Yeah. Um, let's talk about our issues with Flotsam and Jetsam pre. This episode, like pre putting all this together, because I, I have some, I'll be some, I'll be some, I'll be really honest about it. Yeah. Uh, what what are some of yours kind of going back? Well, I thought the name was stupid. Um, The only reason I knew anything about them was because of Jason. Yep. Jason Newstead. So, and like, that was really my first injustice is like my first buying the Metallica record when it came out kind of thing. So I went back and I think I. Must have been on some kind of like compilation tape. I wasn't very impressed. Did you ever hear this era or was oh, it no, later? No, no. Stuff? This was later stuff. I heard Flotsam, I think, on maybe a concrete corner, but for sure on like a metal blade sampler from like ninety four, ninety five. Yeah, that's the stuff where I didn't get. And a like shit. Galactic Cowboys were on there, the first six feet under, Crisis. Like I remember yeah. it was like called like Seventeen Commandments. And it was okay. like seventeen songs. It's too many songs. And I like like Flotsam and Jetsam in 1994, 1995 didn't do much for me because I had I no past so. with them. Yeah. You know, like there was yeah. no legacy for them. I knew who Newstead was from Metallica and that's, I just was like, oh, that's the guy. That's his old band. Yeah. They can't be any good because they lost the like one good guy. Of, but they, yeah, they just didn't, they seemed out of time yeah. or out of play. Like they just seemed like old and tired yeah. at that point. And I have a real bitter memory. Um, I can sometimes be very caustic when I get fired up in the right situations. And I'm not sure how close Mark was sitting to me when we were at uh, one of the last Milwaukee Metal Fest. I believe it was Milwaukee Metal Fest. I don't think it was Jersey. Was it Jersey Fest? It was Jersey Fest. It was Jersey Fest. It's Cathedral? Cathedral. Like, oh, yeah, because we interviewed both the bands. Yeah. Um, luckily, we had seen Electric Wizard a f- like a week prior with uh, Warhorse down in the shelter. At, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was off the Dope Throne, right? Yeah, it was the the dope throne record, and 
I forget no. what that Warhorse record's called. Something like Last. Um, it's the only one. So. Yeah, yeah, it's a cool, cool record. But um, they just toured again off it. Did they really? They reissued it, and I think they might be doing something different. Coughlin's talking about it. Oh shit! Yeah, huh? I've not heard that record since. Those guys are super nice, though. They're super cool. That was a yeah. fun record. I mean, it was. It's it's a tough listen. Sometimes you gotta be right in the right mood or whatever. Sure. But anyways, we had seen them, and we were super pumped. I don't know if I had seen Cathedral at that point. I may have. I, saw I think them you once. had. You had, but they they toured with Fight. Oh no shit! Okay, yeah. so go, that's going, going Carlson was circle. on bass, and yeah, got it. Yeah, I definitely didn't see him then. They played Harpo's. Oh, all right. Well, that'd be what 94? 94, 94? 94, 95. Because Scott was in them around Carnival Bazaar time, right? Right after Ethereal was when Scott was playing bass with him. He was on Ethereal Mirror. Or he was he on the record. touring cycle. He didn't record with him. Touring yeah. cycle for yeah. Ethereal, but this was for... So that would be 94 then. Because that first fight was like 93, 94. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, so I was a freshman in high school. There's no way I was. I would yeah. have even been able to go to that. But um, we were out at Jersey Festival, and it would be curious if any of the patrons were, were also at this festival. Because it was very clear that um, Jack, Jack Kosick has issues um i i've i've never really liked the guy um he's a he's a he's a shock or he, he's uh what the fuck's that? shyster shyster yeah he's he's, he's def- just about money he's not about yeah he could, couldn't he's, give a shit about the bands or anything no. and what was happening is the noise ordinance was rapidly approaching and the Which two for asbury park new jersey that was a fucking hellhole yeah why was i even a thing yeah exactly um it didn't make any sense and so Wizard and Cathedral were slated to play, and the bands were taking full sets leading up to that because they were the pay-to-play bands, I believe. So Cossack didn't want to cut them because he they he was getting their He'd money. He'd have to refund them. He'd have to refund them. But the bands that he was paying to be there, he could give a shit if they went on stage regardless. They were getting paid regardless. Yeah. And Flotsam and Jetsam was one of the bands that kept playing and kept playing and kept like a 40 minute set. And as the set continued, I knew that it was all running late. Dude. That Wizard was going to get bumped or Cathedral was going to get bumped and both got bumped. And Cathedral so played about three songs. I I, yeah, I think. And then no Wizard. Yeah. And um, which was, I guess, good for us. So, we just saw him, but. so I internalized <clears throat> hatred to Flotsam. I blame them for that. Yeah. So. Knowing full well that it was a rational hatred, it was not their fault. Sure. It was, but like most hatreds are. I was just like, yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. But this was like as unfounded as possible. Like I, I, Jack Kosick's the one I, and I said some words to him as we were walking out. I don't know if you remember that. Like I actually, like, I was we so, walk, so drunk. You, you were most pro- of that. I, I definitely like said some tense words, <laughs> and he stared me down. I was like, yeah, real fucking nice type thing or whatever. Yeah. Like, thanks a lot, you money grubbing asshole. It's we probably we, nothing new to him. Exactly, you know. But he probably is a guy that like carries a knife because he's probably been people want to kill him all the time because he's a prick. So he probably knows how to kill people back. So <laughs> he's but, just a little turd. Yeah, though. he's just a little fat piece of shit. But anyways, I was so angry that I blamed that on Flotsam and Jetsam for for years, and so it took me a while to get, kind of get past that. But um, I know in like kind of various explorations um, that this this first debut Doomsday for the Deceiver was always getting name dropped. It was in the decibel, you know, top. 40 thrash records and um i read the reviews about it and it was one of those records i just eventually kind of like picked up i um 
I ordered it, some reissue that was kind of put out, um, that Metal Blade was kind of reissuing a lot of these things. And I mean, I don't know, the cover has some some things going on for it that are, there's a lot of complaints about the cover, but you, you offered some perspective on it. And it doesn't bother me at all. It just, it seems like uh, something somebody would have painted in high school. And uh, it kind of reminds me of like an old like Omen cover or like Tank cover or I think some, Omen was even worse. Some of those kind of covers. Omen though. looked like one of those. You know when you get those huge things of markers when you're a kid. That's what that Omen cover looks like. They, oh, they had like fifty so different colors, colors that they would just yeah. You know, the Omen record's but, a great record too. But yeah, um, yeah. So you know, anyways, I I decided to pick this up and and I think I listened to it a couple times, but I didn't really listen listen to it. And I, I didn't hate it. I was like, oh, this is better than I kind of thought. Yeah, and, and I knew that Newstead was on this record. I didn't realize that he had written a lot of songs that were actually used on No Place for Disgrace as well until I started kind of poking around and, and kind of doing some research and stuff. I think he's the primary songwriter on those first two records. He right? was, yeah. And you can kind of tell it's like written, it's written in the way, it's written as a thrash record the way Steve Harris writes an Iron Maiden record. Yeah. As a bass player being kind of like like the way that they, they think rhythmically in terms of arrangements and things like that. There, to me, there's a lot of crossover with what you hear on this Doomsday for the Deceiver and what you hear on like a lot of the first wave of Iron Maiden records. Yeah. Um, that was kind of one of the things that sort of jumped out to me the most is how bathed. And I knew that Thrash obviously is heavily influenced by Nawabum, but like this is maybe one of the most Nawabum-y records that I've heard out of the Thrash genre. You know, I think that it's kind of a stretch to even call it Thrash. It's tough. I think this is much more new album, much more traditional heavy metal than it is thrash. Speed metal. It's got a lot of German speed metal, like early Blind Guardian, yeah. early Halloween. It's got some of those aspects. There's a lot of Queensryche on this record too. Which a lot would, of metal you church. Would, you and wouldn't Queensryche. call none of those bands you'd call thrash. Metal church kind of gets like tagged with it a little because they kind of flirt with that, but yeah. uh, Queensryche definitely not. Yeah. Queensryche is like you know, Even Iron like Maiden. Blind Guardian is. I wouldn't you know. Yeah, that's like its own unique thing. Yeah. Is where you're taking Noabum and the speed of thrash, but not anything else. Yeah. It's kind of where those fall. So that's, it's weird that this is even thrown in outside of, if it was not the same time period, I think this would just be considered a heavy metal record. It's kind of like, I think sometimes Armored Saint got like dragged into thrash sometimes. They're and not they definitely weren't. Either. Yeah. They definitely weren't. Yeah. You know, they're coming out of more traditional metal and stuff like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. I mean, I think there's moments like what we heard in, in Hammerhead. That it's much, it's pretty driving. That's pretty thrash. Yeah. I mean, that's a, you know that and uh, um, Desecrator, which is the next song or in the next set of music we're gonna play. You can definitely hear a lot of thrash there, and I think even on like No Place for Disgrace, there's there's a little bit more kind of thrash elements on on that second record. But yeah, it's it's tough. I I didn't. I think that's what maybe caught me off guard about this record at first. Yeah. I didn't know how to listen to it the right way because if you expect. You know Newstead goes on to be part of the biggest thrash band ever. You just kind of expect yeah. that this is going to be like a thrash record. Well, they also wrote a Fade to Black. That's true. Totally different. but Yeah, they, yeah that is true. <laughs> that is true. Um, yeah, it, it is a weird... Because I, when I listened to it a couple of days ago, I wasn't, I wasn't even thinking of Newstead mm -hmm. at all. Until, well, you, until you said, like, just mentioned that. I was like, oh, shit, I forgot he was even in the band. And then said the... You know, Steve Harris stuff. It's like, okay, I just threw it on. I listened to it a couple of times. Like, it's great. Yeah. There's, I can't, I can't fault it for anything. No. I mean, and it, 
it kind of like when it arrived, it was uh, put up on Metal Blade. It, you know, Bill Meteor um, and also Slagle produced it. Okay. Kind of interesting. Yeah, I don't know how many albums Slagle like produced himself or, or co-produced. Well, is he? Is He's he, probably sitting in the studio. Is he on there as an executive producer? Because we all know what executive producers really do. Yeah, exactly. When I worked at Relapse, those uh, some of the guys that owned the company, I won't say which, <laughs> always had their name as an executive producer when they did nothing outside of fund the recording. Yeah. Which I don't see as really shaping the record at all. No. It's making... It's validating what you put into it as a company, I guess. It's allowing the artists to shape the record the way, the, the way they want to by having like the, the proper funding. Yeah. It's like a patron. It's like what you guys are doing for us. Yes. You guys aren't telling us what episodes to do, but you're allowing us to sort of maybe expand our boundaries a bit because we can update equipment. We can letting us spread our wings and spend our cash. on. Yes. It. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Patreons. Supporting because, the economy. Really? Because, uh, no place for disgrace cost me $30 on discogs. And that was, uh yeah so it's kind of sucks yeah, yeah, it's kind of rough so but i was using patreon money for that for this episode so there you go your your money is recycled directly back into into the, think, the shows uh, here yeah recent what, what if i use my patreon it's been mostly for i mean it's all been for records i use it a lot for movies i've been kind of really filling in movie gaps lately oh i bought a you ever get into artist edition comic books uh, you ever seen a grown man naked? <laughs> <laughs> well, no. Tell me more. They're they're, they're wonderful. I they're, think we all want to know what these are. They're um, they're hardcover books put out that are the full size of the original artwork oh, of, of cool. comics. So they're like you know ten by fifteen or larger if you get older stuff. And I dumped a hundred dollars and some change on a, a Daniel Klaus original studio edition book. Yeah. So what they do is they actually photograph the original art, so you see all like. What did they use whiteout on? What did like the actual size so as you it see, was like, created? The, the textures. It's pretty. It's almost like uh, it's almost like you're taking a class. Cool. So that was the last patron thing. That's what I dumped a lot. But most of it's been you know new records enslaved and yeah. carcass and I finally got a monk on vinyl. And, oh okay. Uh, nice. A bunch of those is fixed like um, on the wings of inferno and all those have been reissued. It's kind of weird. Tormentor, yep. yeah, all that stuff I've been grabbing. So nice. I need to slow, probably pump the brakes a little bit with that. But but thank you, patrons, for. I'm waiting for that. Uh, supposedly, I'm getting some uh, hazard pay for being a teacher, so that would be. I'll, I'll set that aside for probably Christmas presents or something. But yeah, yeah. So. Plus, I I keep forgetting that I'm getting a coaching paycheck soon too, which it's just like a blur. I usually use that for Christmas money and, and other things too. Pay off some credit cards. So yeah, the weird thing with the how the pandemic has been that you don't spend as much money on just like going out doing stuff. And I don't, so I have like, I have a savings. I, I buy stuff when I want it. I have a lot of work coming in. It's kind of crazy. That's awesome. It's just, we're missing out on, I really miss going to shows. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's been a huge, like I don't miss going to bars and hanging out, but I miss going to shows. That's been the big thing. Did I tell you that we went and saw tenant in theaters? That was kind of a pretty I surreal, know. surreal experience. They just reopened them like two weeks ago. Do you have to, is it just limited? You, you know, we pre-bought our tickets and they have like the, the, um, tickets spaced out like, in but you the, could the sit next to your friends or something, like that. right? Yeah. So like 
you can close seating within each other. So like okay. they have it like spaced in like twos. At least this is how MGR theaters had it. Um, yeah. Luckily nobody clapped. I feel like maybe the pandemic <laughs> end that, which makes uh, me happy because shame. I hate uh, the clapping. Yeah. But um, yeah, there were three of us that went. So like we had to buy two and then one. And then you can like move in closer because there's like okay. a gap of two seats that are empty in between each other two seats. How many people do you think were in the theater? It was not a lot. How were they even keeping the lights on? They're trying things, I guess. I don't know. How were they keeping the lights on before? This is better than nothing, I guess. I guess. You know, I mean, we went to Waterford because that was like close to where the people I was hanging out with were. Okay. Um, so I don't know what theaters are like up here. But there honestly hasn't been. I mean, the, the most interesting thing around me with that has been um, the Ford Wyoming drive in. Yeah. That's been doing gangbusters. And they put in like Evil Dead, The Omen. They're pulling all these. Which I'd out. be down for, for going to see some of that kind of stuff. Well, I know Freedom Hill, where my, we saw Judas Priest, is are doing, doing drive in theaters and stuff okay. too. Yeah. Um, my car has daytime running lights. So I can't. I have to just rely on my battery. To keep oh, my shit. speakers on. Oh, mine does too. So it's like, what do you do for? That's um, like a oversight. It was like, yeah, modern modern cars are too advanced. So last time, and my car is a 2008. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but last time I went to one, you, I backed in, and then just left the battery on without the the lights, and just opened up the the hatchback hatch. and laid there and watched fucking Star Trek Into Darkness or some piece of shit, but. All the stuff they've been playing lately is like double features of like stuff you want to like see. Old horror shit. That's yeah. cool. Hell rate, like all kinds of shit. It's yeah. great. Dang. Dang. Yeah, hopefully like now that cross country's ending, I can get back on the like the radar screen of like having a life again. So, I don't I don't think I've seen a film in the theater since we saw that the Skywalker abortion. Oh, Rise of Skywalker, yeah, around Christmas. That's the last thing I saw in the theater. Huh. Before yeah, I, that I was... saw some. St- I saw Knives Out in the theater before pandemic, and a few other things. And then uh, Tenet was Tenet was the, like a very Christopher Nolan movie. I, I heard it was interesting, but like yeah, it's a little cold. Flawed. It's a little cold yeah. emotionally, but um, I think I'll like it. It's like the Prestige. First time I saw the Prestige, I didn't quite know what to think about it, and then like I saw it a second time, I was like, oh okay, I kind of like see all the moving pieces. Yeah, you know. There's only, I don't know. I don't ever revisit those movies. I'll revisit like Memento um, and a few others. Okay. You know, Prestige is like good. Like that's got good rewatch value. And I saw like 1917, which was fine, but I'd never watch it again. And I saw that in the theater, which was like the way to see it. Yeah. I don't know if I'd feel like watching it at home. It's just yeah. like I get it. I get what they're trying to do. It's yeah. It's 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 done well, but I don't. Yeah, it's a need cool it like it's like rope from Hitchcock. Like it's not yeah. my Hitchcock that I would go to, but it's like a cool exercise and experiment. It was like, like how to a really stuff. long version of Children of Men. Yeah, like that was enough for the one the perceived one scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, scene, yeah. but or like Birdman, kind of how they did. I it saw there. that's I saw that once, and that's enough. Yeah. No, but I'm saying that same yeah. kind of element. Or yeah. Whatever. yeah. And certain, I think things work better in that format, but it it works the best when it's a gimmick, but also like furthers the story more. So sure, yeah. And I, I've you just know, been watching old shit again, like Jaws and stuff, and just being like, you know, enamored how fucking good it is. <laughs> you know what's interesting about Jaws? We just watched it in my film class. Um, I was showing my students, and I, I said to them, I said, one of the things I want you to pay attention to in Jaws is I want you to ask yourself at the end. This was the biggest blockbuster of its time. 
broke all the records until Star Wars broke those records. I said, two years later, would this movie be made as a blockbuster in 2020? And, you know, the kids, when they started thinking about it, they were like, no. I said, why not? And we talked about it. They're like, well, there's like long stretches of like just talking. Oh, God, I miss that so much. And character development. I said, I said, what was, what, you know, what, what are, (laughs) and it was, I I go like, think about that. Think like the ADD, like the, the attention span like that. And, and I go, did that, were any of you bored? And people were like, no. I said, so you have the ability. Yeah. It's just, you've been dumbed down. They've like trained you to expect dumbness. Well, they've made, as you were saying earlier, like they, they make it for China. They make it for the most mass audience that doesn't offend anything. Big spectacle. Sure. Low odds for anything. Like you but... would never see the USS Indianapolis dialogue scene in a modern Hollywood movie. In a, in no, a it takes too long, and it's only—it's it, not even a long scene. It's not, but it—it it does so much. I said, I said, every single one of you held your breath during that scene, almost as much as when the the shark was scaring you, and the kids yeah. were like, "Fuck, you're right." Like, like, like the... it would—it would just hit them like how well crafted that was. Quint as a character, like everything you cared was about so... all the characters, even though like Dreyfus is a little bitch. Well, he seems like when at first, then they start doing the showing the scars and like, it's nice to see two people that like didn't like each other at first, have a begrudging respect and then an actual like honest, like caring about each other's happening. Yeah. I don't know. Absolutely. And I think that was one of the things I don't know. Kids are always sort of blown away after we talk about a movie. Like, they don't almost know. They know that they liked a movie, but they don't know why they liked it until we, like, have conversations. And then, like, they're just hit with these revelations. And they're like, oh, you can just see, like, I think, the wheels turning. Yeah, I think deep in our subconscious, like, we have all these, like, certain tropes as a society or a race of people or a human as human beings that we need in our stories mm-hmm. that we aren't getting in anything. And when we get it, it's just like, you know... Man who's starving, giving him a fucking sure. hot dog, you know? It's sure. Like, oh, God, this is amazing. And I did point out, because I don't want to be just kind of like a old man yelling on my lawn. I said, I did point out and give credit where credit's due. I said, one thing that I will give, like, and, and I'm, I'm a fairly decent fan of the Marvel movies, not like diehard like some people are. But I did say that last Avengers movie was three and a half hours. And it, it did leave some moments to, like, some quiet moments at like the grave sites and like, do you know what I mean? There was well, quieter was... moments in it that allowed the action sequences at the end to like be better because you cared a little bit. The more. perfect counterpoint you know? to that is watching the rise of Skywalker. That, it, that is just like somebody you standing there and somebody throwing shit at you. It was you. 50. It was the first 55 minutes were like, then this happens, and now this is happening, and now get ready for this because this is happening, and this is going to happen next, and this is going to happen. The only scene that I can remember in that movie where it slowed down was where fucking Harrison Ford comes on. Is he in that movie? Yeah. He has the little talk with uh, oh yeah with Adam Driver. That's right. It takes a second. And yeah. I think the reason Billy D. Williams seems so fucking slow motion is because nothing, nothing's supposed to go that fast. He's like an 81-year-old man. I wish it was slow down to like get to his pace a little bit because when the old people, old actors were in, I was like, oh, thank fucking God you could slow down for a second. Yeah. But then seeing The Last Avengers, that had a bunch of shit going on. Yeah. Huge spectacles, but it slowed down when But like in that to. whole middle section, 
Yeah. Like, even the, the one before that, the... the fuck was Infinity War. Or, Infinity yeah. War and the... Endgame? Endgame. We're yeah. both good. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Like, but they're an anomaly. There's That's what I mean. Few and they had that earned that. that because of 20 movies leading up they to did. it or whatever. They did know? their... The thing is, that's the weird thing. Is you take you have to take 20 movies to do the characterization <laughs> that Jaws does in an hour and a half or an hour and 40 minutes or something. Like, um, my roommate and I have been rewatching. watching um, you know, Buffy and Angel on Prime. How bad do the effects look on some of the effects are, are a little bad, but but the storytelling's so good that you don't care. You know, and, and like watching the pacing of like a late nineties, forty four minute, like good writing show, it still holds up. Like he was compelled. You know, he's he has no credence, no loyalty to it like we yeah. do or anything. And he was just like it held his attention like for, for most of the whole time. I and, used to think that uh you know that the the kind of conceit of the commercial show where you have these act breaks was a hindrance to storytelling, but it's not. Thinking if it's done it, right. If it's done right. Yeah. Think of it now. Cause I, I go back, I'm on a bash Star Trek fan and Star Trek next generation. Some of those episodes are so impeccably paced yep. based on that. Yeah. There's like not a bit of fat on this perfect characterization and everything. Well, you don't need the, the game of Thrones cliffhanger at the end. Always. If you have, cliffhangers going into commercials you can kind of do a little bit more rise it's not just always a build to like some insane conclusion yeah which is fine i don't mind that like it it worked pretty well when it worked well with game of thrones like in the earlier it would be a nice if we could come back to a middle of of stuff where it's not you don't have to watch 10 episodes to get a finished story that's okay yeah because you can just get an okay story with like you had 22 episodes a season for next generation and you'd get about you get probably like fifteen great episodes, and then another like eight pretty pretty good ones. And that's kind of a couple I, clunkers. And that's kind of what I was telling him. I said the yeah. one of the one of the struggles that like you know a show like Buffy or shows of that era had is they had to fill twenty four hours. And I said, and you're gonna get you know generally like like to me like in season two and three of Buffy, there's like usually in each season like three or four episodes that can just be skipped. Yeah, they're filler. Just filler. Yeah. And and the, and you don't get that with like the ten episodes like seasons that you see now. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can't do you don't have enough episodes where you can do an episode like Hush, where it's completely silent for the whole forty four minutes or whatever. Unless you're Breaking Bad, and you do like the Bug episode, you know, like yeah. But that's because Vince Gilligan is operating with a whole different set of playbook. Nobody else is doing that exactly. It's, Better it's Call Saul has done some very equally is like in rap. Like that's one of the few shows I love watching. That show continues to get better every season. Just do stuff. Yeah. Like, I just want to watch. Yeah. I think there's there's one more season yeah. oh, happening. Yeah. But yeah. The last season was incredible. It's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. The desert episode. the only episodes. thing I look forward to. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's so uh, good. As far as, like, like, television. Sure. was The Boys is pretty good, though. I have not watched that yet. That's on it's my two list. two seasons on Prime. Yeah. It's on my First list. First season is unbelievable. Second's 85% pretty good. I have, uh, I'll be honest, I've been mostly watching movies when I come home. You know, the only TV, because Survivor's not on right now, and there's just really not much else on. Um, I did watch the first episode of the new season of Fargo, and it was all right. The Chris Rock one? Mm-hmm. It's I, okay. I don't. I haven't watched anything since the first. Dude, that, watch season two and three of Fargo. Like, season two. I'll see what, what season my streaming two is so good. Season, season two, there's one episode, and those of you who have seen Fargo know what I'm talking about, where the Native American character who's also plays like the kind of the main Native American character in like Westworld 
when they find like the native tribe. Oh yeah, that guy's great. Yeah, he's the hitman in season two, and he's like a Vietnam vet. And maybe I did see season two. Yeah, it's like back in the seventies. And there's yeah. okay, that season's awesome. Yeah, with um, with what's her name from Spider Man, Kristen. Uh, from the Toby Maguire ones? Yeah, from Interview with the Vampire. Kristen, uh, what's her face? Dunst. Yeah. Dunst. yeah, she's in From Melancholia, if you've ever yes, seen that. Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. So, Flotsam Plus and Jetsam. <laughs> um, there's a quote from the the vocalist, and, and basically what we're dealing with here is we got Jason Newstead on bass, who's writing uh, most of the lyrics and some of the music. You've got Eric A.K. Newton on vocals, and he's a really interesting vocalist, and, and we'll get into him a little bit. And then you got two guitar players, Ed Carlson and Mike Gilbert, and then you got Kelly David Smith on drums. And um, it's a cool quote here from uh, one of the pop-off books that I've, I've mentioned in some of our, our main episodes, that it's um, Eric, the vocalist, uh, talking about how this received 6K review in Kerrang, which I think was the first album that Kerrang ever gives six k's normally it's a perfect score right it's like a perfect score or above perfect i think five is like a perfect so they think they like it's like giving oh. it's like giving an 11 out of 10 okay or something so like, i never read Krang as a kid because it was just i didn't I, the yeah. bands i didn't know who they were and we couldn't get it very often i didn't see it that much i'd see it at bookstores occasionally but okay. everybody in the cover i was like no, no, no. Yeah. it's probably all bands we love now yeah right yeah it's exactly. probably it was probably like what rage and riot Halloween, you know, it was all these probably like German fucking awesome Brian Guardian and shit like that. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking Sacrifice and Exciter. You know, like, who are these fuckers? You know, Raven, that sounds stupid. Yeah, goddamn. But it says, uh, you know, how did he react to that? And he says, well, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. When I first saw that, I was like, whoa, we've made it. I'm going to be uh, Mr. Big Shot. That 6K carried us through a lot of stuff, too. It got us on a big Megadeth tour. It got us all kinds of stuff. Uh, And it got us with a good manager who ended up losing his mind. That was a huge point for us. And then um, Ed Carlson, one of the the guitar players, talks about how Jason, he says, Jason basically wrote Doomsday, all the lyrics and a lot of the music. He's a writer. He does that stuff all the time. Just because he joined Metallica doesn't mean he quit writing. If anything, he's doing it more, but they still don't use one idea of his on on the last record. So that was an interview from 2003. When did he leave Metallica? Garage Inc. was the last thing he was on. He might have been on one of the SNM lives or something, but as far as uh, yeah, he wasn't on uh, that shitty album. I think Death Magnetic was uh, who's on. I think that was Trillio, wasn't it? No, he was. No. Was that Robert or did no, Bob Death Rock? Magnetic's the last thing he was on. Oh, was he on Death Magnetic? I'm pretty sure because then on uh, Saint Anger, isn't Bob it? Rock played on. Yeah, but Death Magnetic's after Saint Anger. Oh, you're right. Yeah, so it's got to be. It wasn't him. It might have been Trujillo then. Yeah, because the, the in some kind was, of monsters, uh, they're interviewing the bassist. They're trying to find the new bassist in that yeah. documentary, which is St. Anger kind of era. Yeah, so Trillio's first thing was Death Magnetic. Okay, so this, I'm trying to think, when when did Popoff publish these fucking thrash books? Death Magnetic's like 2007, wasn't it? Yeah, 2007, 2008, somewhere in that realm. I'm trying to find like one. So 2003 year. would have probably been, was it Reload? Jesus, I don't. Reload S and M. I think he's he's definitely an S and M, and he uh, the garage revisited or whatever. So well, let's let's get into some shit here. But yeah, so it says that you know Metallica's not using his stuff. He says I know the idea that Jay's probably brought to the drawing board for them, and they were probably scared of them. <laughs> Which when you hear the compositions here, you understand how he probably could have been threatening 
because of like how complex like some of the shit he's putting together is. Saint Anger was two thousand three, but okay. he's not on it. Yeah, so he quit or, or kind of before then. It says when Newstead left Flotsam and joined Metallica, um, Peter, their manager, said, "I don't ever want to hear this Flotsam and Jetsam thing. I don't want you asking favors for them. This and that." He kind of laid this big old arm of law on Jason. That was immediately after he joined the band. Probably the same day. It just never worked out uh, from the time he started with them until now. It was always like we were taboo for some reason. We would have been a great band to open for Metallica. It would have been perfect. He's probably not wrong. You yeah. Know? It's just like, it's kind of weird that he, he sort of had to like cut ties with all that. You know, I, I feel that I understand. I never really, I didn't know the whole, I mean, you hear the stories and all the, you know, you're in the half of life and all this shit the Metallica documentaries that were, you know, kind of ubiquitous when we were younger. But I never understood why he quit. Because, like, oh, man, just the money would have been. But he didn't get the fucking, he was, like, hogtied. Mm-hmm. Like, he was used to create, you know, complete creative freedom. And then he's in Metallica, which, okay, cool. It's a good, it's a great band. It's a good paycheck. Yep. Um, you get some co-writing credit for Blackened or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you can't hear your bass on the first record. Like, it's just... It's like, what can you do to a man before he decides to just like... It's, it's like dignity in pride yeah. versus like, you know, finance and success. Yeah, and he's and got more like money that. than with residuals that he doesn't need to worry about anything. But that's why he went and did, worked with like Voivod and all these other, yeah. you know, fucking things. So Yeah. Um, remind me when we get, before we get to No Place for Disgrace, I have a, a story about him joining Metallica and leaving uh, Flotsam. So kind of interesting. But yeah, they're uh, you know they're they're kind of just a strange band. I mean, I really said that they fit in more with the Armored Saints and the Metal Churches and, and Queens Rikes and, and some of those kind of bands and stuff like that. Um, you know, Hammerhead, which we opened up with, you know, really kind of lays all the cards on the table. You get Killer, Newstead Bass, which is all over this record. Catchy vocals. Um, talk to me about AK because you had some thoughts and I have some thoughts on him. He's got. Let's keep right now. Sorry guys. Oh, hey, it's for Patreons. Uh, they don't care. He he has a, like a real the thing that was screaming out to me was a Mark Escobeda from uh, Death Angel vibe. Okay, to his yeah. vocals. That's like the number one thing that jumped out to me. That more John Bushy soulful, yeah, vocal than what we're typically. Dealing there's with like some fresh. like to me. There's like some Fate's Warning, Jeff Tate kind of stuff too. Maybe not. I don't like know Fate's Warning enough to to say. To, it's just the vibe. It's the okay. serious vibe or the the more. I don't want to say sophisticated, but there, there's like something there where it's like there's a little bit more honesty there, heartfeltness, and that okay. you're getting that. It's less about like the screaming and the like roughness of like the thrash vocals, and more that there's there is kind of some. It's 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 a je ne sais quoi that I can't quite put my my finger That's on. Certain undefinable quality, yeah, but like. Fate's Warning, a lot of those like prog metal bands kind of have it. And maybe it's called Pretentiousness, perhaps. Pretension, yes. Um, Dream Theater had it. Yeah, there's something there where like they're trying to be more serious. To me, yeah. there's like a little bit more. Now, not on Hammerhead. Hammerhead's like a song about like fucking, basically, <laughs> and stuff. So, but you know, so the, the lyrics are, it's weird because like the lyrics are like better suited for like another genre than like what True. is being sung about here compared to like the sophisticatedness of the music and the way that the vocals are kind of sung and things like that. It's yeah. like it, the whole band is like a mishmash of like different influences and, and strangeness and it all, it kind of works obviously, but it's yeah, it's, but it's way weird. It's there. I don't know. I think there's 
very different from most of their contemporaries in that aspect too. Like the name is. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I looked up the name at one point, and I for, forget what it is. It's like a term just, for being like, like crap. Yeah. The f- like wading through the flotsam and jetsam of yes, whatever. Exactly. Yes. It's like so, a, a definitely a negative. It made me yeah look up what that meant as a kid. I was like, I just don't, I don't like it. It doesn't sound interesting enough to like pull me in. It doesn't sound evil. It doesn't sound yeah occulty or anything. No. Uh, the covers are not. <laughs> they're, pulling my skirt up too yeah, much. They're, they're not great. Uh, I mean, they're not bad, but like the next one is. Did you look at this one? <laughs> He's looking. No place for disgrace. It's like kind of like a bad Street Fighter uh, kickboxer movie. It looks like somebody went to a figure painting class to a, like a Taekwondo studio <laughs> and gave a guy a, a snake eye sword or something. It but. sort of looks like the kind of painting you'd find at a Salvation Army. And you'd be yeah. like, oh, cool. Cool, I'll take this. <laughs> this is a good $5. Yeah, they're just such an odd band. And I mean, you know, in the inner sleeve, two of the guys are wearing their own shirts. But then another person's wearing a Centennial Beast shirt, which is cool. And that's a band I've recently kind of picked up. And, and that makes got sense. an Anthrax shirt and a BC Rich shirt. Yeah. And the guy's got a BC Rich guitar. Huh? So he's obviously uh, paid. potentially sponsored and had some free. Well, just like Mustaine talking about how we look like dirtbags, but they gave us new shoes. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> that's why they're wearing what they're wearing. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think where these guys were from. Were they out of like Phoenix or um, were they California? Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah. I thought they were kind of out of somewhere a little bit kind of different. Um, yeah. The, I, can you think of another Phoenix band? Weren't uh, Sacred Rite from Arizona as well? I think they were. They might have been. I'm not. Uh, but they might have been Scottsdale. So not like exactly Phoenix. Scottsdale is kind of like more of the interesting area of Arizona. Yeah, I like I like Phoenix. I don't know. I I like Scottsdale was like as like up in the mountains more as like actually had a climate. It wasn't just a, a I think it was up desert. by um, Sedona. Yeah, because when I was the last time I was out there, um, the girl I was hanging out with Savannah, we went up to. Um, she took me to Sedona because we wanted to go to Maynard's Winery, mm-hmm. which is like named Merkin winery after the pubic wig nice yeah so that so sounds about right so we sampled some wines at maynard uh maynard from tools uh, my uh my cousin used to work for him no shit as a he went to school to be a whatever a vineyard or what, what do you call a guy oh, that does yeah, um, wine yeah i know exactly a vicar yeah. um but whatever that is yeah he worked for them for a while not a sommelier because sommelier is beer right? no sommelier they're they're uh ex wine experts okay that would like tell you what's yeah what's what but he was actually like in the growing process okay and stuff but now he's a going to school for mathematician or but hey sounds like a smart Cle- eclectic guy. dude yeah, sounds like an interesting <laughs> dude but there are some interesting things that happen on hammerhead too like near the end um the song kind of ships at like the 420 mark and and that's where i really started to hear like the german speed metal influence a lot it's kind of like bathed in that like I don't know, Blind Guardian, early Blind Guardian, I guess, early Halloween, um, you know, Rage, some of those kind of bands, Running Wild. Um, some of those elements are kind of baked into to different parts. I, I don't know what bands kind of jumped out to you the most when you heard these, besides Iron Maiden. I mean, Iron Maiden we're about to get into with these next two kind of big epic songs coming up. But um, I mean, yeah, one of my, my big note is more Nwabum than Thrash. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, the to go back real quick to the flotsam and jetsam term, 
Yeah. It's a nautical term uh, describing goods washed overboard by waves or deliberately thrown overboard by a ship's crew. So coming over from waves is the flotsam. The jetsam is what you throw out into the water. Very Jaws appropriate, what we were talking about before. There's a lot of flotsam. See, this is all thought out. Yeah. Yeah, we knew what we were doing. Yeah, we really put a lot of thought into all the all the stuff we do for Patreon shows. Oh, what, what's Schneider's line? What? We'll need a bigger boat. No, no, no. no. The, oh. the, the, you come down and shovel this shit or whatever right before he throws <laughs> it and the thing pops up for the yeah, first time. Yeah, yeah. When he's throwing the chum and <laughs> yeah. shit in there, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's cool because, you know, I don't think kids know the story of Moby Dick because I don't think they read it in school anymore. It's too fucking long and arduous, I think, for high school kids. The writing's and, difficult to penetrate. It's tough. I, I read it in college, you know, on my own, just for shits and giggles. And I, I really enjoyed it when I got to the end, but it was a, it was a tough slog to get through. Watch the times. Patrick Stewart TV movie. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. I've seen the Gregory Peck movie. I've seen his, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, Gregory Peck won't. Um... Oh, he's dead now, so. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> he won't do a lot of things. <laughs> um, I was listening to the Projection Booth episode on Jaws. Um before I showed it in class, because I always like to, you know, just kind of get my brain wired in. and, and Yeah. It gets me thinking about things, you know, about the movie. And I guess Spielberg tried to get the rights to have a scene, like where a character is watching the Moby Dick movie on TV. Um, just the Peck movie? Yeah, just to sort of like kind of slam the Captain Ahab, you know. Not that you Captain Queen. Yeah. Just... Again, beat you over the head. Kind of the way, like, in, like, John Carpenter movies, when characters are always watching, like, old 50s sci-fi on TV or, yeah. you know, something like that. And uh, They're Gregor- watching in the in Halloween, they're watching The Thing. The, the old, Thing, uh, yeah. The, the uh, uh, what's his name? Well, it's Howard Hawks. Howard Hawks. But it's not. It's Howard That's Hawks. It's like Val Luton. How yeah, Val Luton was the executive exactly. producer, but basically but all the movies But he was filming behind it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, Gregory Peck wouldn't sign off on it because he hates the movie and hates his performance and wouldn't like allow Spielberg to use it, which is really weird. I guess I never knew that that he like has some real issues with like that adaptation of Moby Dick. But that's weird because he's always kind of the same in everything. Yeah. Like he's great in The Omen, and yeah. I just recently watched him in Kill a uh, Mockingbird, all that shit. Spellbound. Uh, I hadn't seen that in years. Uh, Hitchcock. So uh, yeah, yeah, he's Gregory Peck. That's who he is. Yeah. Cape Fear. Yeah, he's just, yeah. yeah, that's, oh, that's, yeah, yeah. that's what he does. So. He packs yeah, it up. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's what you got kind of going on there. But um, this next set that we're going to kind of get into here, I think this is, to me, this is the make or break it for whether or not, you know, you're, you're a Flotsam and Jetsam fan of this era. And, it, and I really, if you're going to be a Flotsam and Jetsam fan, why not be a fan of this era? It's compared to later eras that we can, yeah. we can neither confirm nor deny is good or bad, but. From what our hunch tells us, it's not as good as this. I have a feeling if the main songwriter of the band is gone, you've got a 50-50 chance. And from what I've seen, I'm going to say it's probably not as good. It's it not was, as much my taste. Something, something, yeah. The, some of the ingredients just didn't, didn't hit right. But yeah. uh, it works on these two records, and so I, I think you'll, you'll kind of dig it. The title track is incredible. Like, it's nine minutes long. Um, the opening of it sounds like Hotel California. <laughs> and now all the listeners are going to hear that for the rest of their life whenever they yeah. it. It gives me, like, in in all the best ways. Like, Hotel California is a song I'm 
completely sick of. But objectively, when I remove myself, it's like Stairway to Heaven. When I remove myself, it's a fucking great song. Yeah. Like in terms of how it's constructed and shit. Yeah. I just don't want to hear it anymore. Unless it's the Spanish version of Big Lebowski. And then, <laughs> then I'm pretty okay. But like I like hearing certain parts of it. Yeah. Like the opening I like. Yeah. Once like Don Henley starts singing and the chorus comes in and like I fucking hate myself. But that whole like intro. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, it's, it, it sounds works. like they could kick into a heavy metal song. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> and guess what? It does. It's, <laughs> it's called fucking Doomsday for the Deceiver. And um, really, the first fucking three minutes of this song are like this weird. This is what I wrote. This weird thrash hybrid mixed with Fate's Warning or early Queen's Right. It's this just impressive, mature songwriting for a debut. And we talked about this uh, for those of you that heard our um, Eternal Nightmare show how a band can come out the gates with the ability of writing this fully formed and at, at 10. That's fucking tough. I mean, Maiden did it with Phantom of the Opera, like in a weird way, though they, I mean, they had all that shit was sitting around for three or four years. Exactly. But like Maiden didn't even do what Maiden eventually did for a couple records. Like, not till really Hallowed Be Thy Name. Do you really get a true, like, maiden epic? Well, and they stole that. Sure. S- some people will say. Yeah. Which is, like, uh, it's, it's tricky. But you get know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you know, it's, you know, Power Slave, they're really firing on, like, a lot. You know, they're Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, Power Slave. I think like, Power Slaves were their, like, they're 115% maiden. They're, they're fucking at their peak of their power. Yeah. And you hear a song like this, and this song could be on, like, Power Slave. Yeah, in it in it in like the way it's conceived and the movements it sort of has, um, you just don't hear fucking debut bands doing shit like this, especially out of what was perceived to be thrash. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know how they were marketed or what they thought of themselves. They're covered in the thrash book. They're in the thrash. You I mean, know, that, decibel. I, that I wasn't really even know. a thing. So, like those terms are all usually kind of like after the fact because that thrash term originally was a hardcore punk term for just like fast garbage basically yeah but then it was co-opted by i'm sure journalists to describe what they kind of like the wobble yeah because none of this stuff is really it's it's all after the fact i mean like any history you can't really judge it until after the fact so then you find the similarities like okay like looking at the piece over there like grunge music like allison chains and nirvana and pearl jam don't really sound anything alike outside of very superficial things yeah and how they I mean, kind like of look a general there's a kind of like a from. general tone to to like their, yeah there's a there's like a melancholy yeah. yeah you know iggy pop describes grunge as like kind of being sullen music yeah a little bit you know like goth but, music but is to kind throw of it all in one category is still kind of like i agree it's, it's not a perfect science. like the very first cult record is kind of goth but, it but it's like it doesn't sound like pornography cure or joy division or you know like or sisters of mercy yeah or Bauhaus like, you or, know so like yeah there's these all overarching terms of kind of or whatever. new wave like does yeah. new order sound like flock of seagulls i don't know yeah. Probably, kinda i guess <laughs> yeah. i don't know one's way better than the other but yeah. i mean the cars do they sound like flock of seagulls you yeah. know what i mean yeah. Like, um yeah so i so i think that's like the, the the thing at hand so i guess you know for any of our long-term listeners if you were kind of a little bit older than us and you were kind of around when stuff like this hit. I'm, I'm kind of curious to, you know, know what the sort of vibe was clearly Kerrang and other journalists were picking up on like what, what they were 
yeah doing here which makes know? a lot of sense because krang is kind of like an old guard for this yeah. stuff and so these guys sound like a new version of the old guard so of course they're going to be more interested yeah. in it yeah. yeah i mean it's like me i get fucking excited whenever i hear like recycled brave murder day riffs <laughs> you know what i mean or yeah. like shades of god paradise lofts guitar like in, in a band like oh you've piqued my interest you know like, yeah you've caught yeah. you've caught something that's like will never go away for me you know it's like True. part of that really magical time yeah you've got like a good 10 to 15 year maybe not even that much maybe 10 years where you really know what you like mm-hmm. and then it's just slightly different versions of that but it's always that's like the core yeah it's very rare that like i i guess there's probably I, I think I probably an, an exception to the rule sometimes because like I've gone in recent times and like embrace like kind of synthy 80s stuff in a way, um, you know, where like I didn't like that growing up at all, you know, so like I love John Carpenter shit growing up. I guess so I was... did, too, but I didn't think of it as like music. I just thought it was soundtrack. I'm thinking more okay. like new wave and 80s kind of stuff. Like I kind of dismissed all that shit like, eh. See, I was yeah. like, I was a radio guy growing up before I actually bought tapes okay. and stuff. I was usually drawn to more of that type of. Were you? Okay. Um, yeah, new wavy, synthy, like it went really quickly into the more aggressive stuff. And but I, I remember it was just like whatever made me feel something. That's true. I liked. And I guess I remember that stuff. I remember liking like Duran Duran and stuff as like a kid, but yeah, I, I guess I got drawn really into angsty stuff. It makes sense. Because of grunge and. Yeah. what i was kind of surrounded that with. age yeah. makes a hell of a lot of sense yeah the other thing that curious with the vocals here with uh with newton is in this song i notice a lot of like helford screams there's a lot of rob helford in some of the stuff that he does like vocally just a little bit little diamond in there too yeah a lot of king diamond yeah. a lot of helford a lot of jeff tate you know mm-hmm. some of that kind of stuff so it's uh it's cool stuff so so we'll get into that. We've got uh, the title track, and then we've got Desecrator, and then we're going to end with the other epic tune. So Desecrator is like a, a palate cleanse in between. I kind of nudge it in there. It's a good song, yeah. but it's not like it, – it's just more of like an average song of what the, the normal stuff on Doomsday sounds like. But to me, the two centerpieces are Doomsday and Metal Shock. And this is what's so strange. In the sequencing, those songs are back-to-back. That's like a weird fucking choice. Yeah. Like that's like putting like – Master of Puppets and Orion, like next to each other. You know what I mean? Like, it's, I wonder, that's I wonder like a how weird... much like care is taken in sequencing. I know some bands like pride themselves on it. Let me think. You know what? In looking at it, mm, I bet you the vinyl. I think Doomsday is track five and closes side A, and Metal Shock opens side B. That's yeah. so you have. So that makes more sense. You got to flip the record, and that makes you flip like, the cassette strong. Closing, strong start. I get it. It makes a lot of sense. I get it. Yeah, because that's some... I don't think about that quite as much. Because putting two, like, nine-minute metal songs next to each other is is weird. I mean, I guess Power Slave and Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner are back-to-back. And Power Slave's, like, seven and a half, eight minutes, and Rhyme's 13. But you're flipping. No, that's that's on side B. That's on side B. Yeah. It's just weird. You just don't see it very often. You usually kind of space that stuff out a little, but... And I, I would... If I was, like maybe five ten years older i would have been more of like the sides guy mm-hmm. but if somebody was like okay what's the best sides to record i was like i have to go research this a little bit because i was more of a tape guy which had sides which had sides but sometimes they were different than the vinyl 
depending on how long you could fit stuff on and yeah. whatever. Um, but yeah, that's that's something interesting to think about. Yeah, we'll ponder it ponder while you guys it. listen to uh, Doomsday for the Deceiver, Desecrator, and Metal Shock.
That was Metal Shack, Desecrator, and Doomsday for The Deceiver. And uh, Not Toxic Shock, Metal Shock. Yes, not toxic or Toxic Waltz. Not that sure. either. Toxic um, Waltz Syndrome. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what must that be like? <laughs> is that toxic a combination of Toxic Shock and like thrashing around in a mosh pit? No, it's how you react to getting Toxic Shock. Is you can do the Toxic, toxic Waltz? waltz. The Toxic Waltz. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't mention this in the um, uh, Violence uh, episode, but one of the songs on Violence that we didn't play, um, was it Calling in the Corner? Sounds, it's like Toxic Waltz. Yeah. It's like got all that kind of stuff. You know, they even, I think, made a video for it. But yeah, so speaking of Toxic Shock Waltz. Um, speaking of Metal Shack, yes, uh, that is the Do song. Know my two-word review of that song. Yeah. Wow. Epic. Wow. Epic. It 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 is. I just wrote the other epic master masterpiece. To me, this is the showcase of Newstead. Right. Mm-hmm. This is the one where, like, you see what what could he have brought to Metallica if they had let him. Like in hindsight, when you hear this record and then you know what like they allowed Cliff to do, like what could they have actually done with him? I think that Newstead was probably a more, had more skills when it came, really came down to it. Um, I think, I think Cliff had a lot of, a lot of flair, Mm -hmm. but as far as his writing is concerned, I don't, we didn't see enough of it to really know, but this, you've got two records of great shit and then seeing what he did in Metallica was great. If he would have given a little bit more, like I, I get why they didn't, but it becomes a different man in a sense. Yeah. I mean, I think, although you could give him a, a song or two per record, he's only got co-writing on one, right? I'm just blackened on that whole. He never wrote. I, I didn't know on load and reload. I have no idea on those. I didn't look on a lot of that stuff. I don't know if he's got like co-writing credits on anything on Black Album either. I feel like he probably does. Yeah, I don't know. But a lot of that stuff is, it's like who came up with a riff that becomes the songwriting. And then, so Hetfield usually gets double duty with lyrics and credits. And then Lars always gets it for arrangements and shit. Yeah. Um, but I feel like, though, like seeing all the, there's so much video of them fucking around for the Black record that I'm sure he brought stuff to the table. I would hope. Like what was, like, I think he's got a really good sense of composition and flow and just, I think he's, he's an incredible player too. He's coming at, yeah. He, Energy he, wise, like Jesus, him and Steve Harris are. I was going to say, Steve Harris for, is the, to me like the, like who, who I connect him to. Yeah. Now. Yeah. I think they're like kindred spirits. And I didn't know that before sense. I really dived into this. I had no idea until stuff. two days ago. Yeah. And that's, that like kind of blows my mind. And you hear it in that last song with like the bass interlude that he does that is very reminiscent of like the, the stop and like rhyme of the ancient mariner or yeah. something, something along those lines. So, you know, clearly he's possessed by this like ghost of Steve Harris. And I guess I didn't hear it in metal very much outside of Iron Maiden, you know, um, before you know, I mean, you got your primuses and some of those kind of like anomalies like through the years, but I, I yeah. just like a bass driven metal band. It's a it's an oddity. I'm sure they exist. I'm sure if we put our put our King's heads X? together, 
Yeah, but even they had like really great guitar. And the bass was more like bopping around. Kind Faith of shit. no more because they kind yeah. of were bringing some like kind of, but like Jim Martin still fucking shredded. You know? Yeah, but Gould was like a main songwriter. That's true. And him and um, I can't think of the drummer's name. Mike Borden. Mike Borden. They were both like fucking Berkeley students or something. Oh, were they? So okay. and they were both. They were the, like the original. The start, two the guys that the go band. all the way back with, with yeah. Chuck. Was Chuck there at the beginning? Mosley. Yeah. I think he was the second vocalist. Okay. But he was the first recorded vocalist. Courtney Love sang for Faith No More at one point. I remember. I don't know, like where in the timeline. I don't. She tried out or something. Like she tried oh, no, that's out. Right. Yeah, that or was. She was like did a gig with them, or I, I don't even know. I think that was after Mosley, before Pat. Before Pat. Yeah. yeah. That's what I figured. So there's so much shit on YouTube, man. That's I can't even believe how many documentaries and shit are on YouTube. Yeah, I need to. I just watched one on Faith No More. It was like 20 minutes about we care a lot. Oh, nice. <laughs> but it went through the whole kind of like the band coming up to that point. Yeah. It was like an autoplay of like, you know how there's all these bands getting together playing songs over Skype or whatever, Zoom or something. There was, fuck you, who the hell was it? The last singer of Dillinger. Oh, okay. Greg, Greg something. Greg Pushida. Pushida. The guy who's in Black Queen, which is like a cool band now. This, yeah, him and then a handful of other people, like pretty big, like well-known people um, that did We Care A Lot. They okay. had like Kevin Sharp even came in to do a chorus on it, screaming it. It wasn't through that one talk show with the dude with Corpse Paint, was it? Uh, no, no. He they, there's a lot. It's a similar okay thing as that. I just saw something with him the other but, day. That but was at the awesome. very end, Billy Gould's when they end the song, he's like, "Hey man," <laughs> like he didn't get to play on it. That's funny. But I've been watching a lot of like, the Charlie Benante stuff too because he does some where he does everything except for vocals. He'll play bass, he'll play guitar and drums on the songs. Okay. Yeah, I saw that. I've been seeing yeah. those kind of floating around quite a bit. Um, it's going to drive me wild. Brain Daler. Um, oh, he did um, Stairway to Heaven or something. He did. And then, he was doing vocals. Yes, he just did vocals on something else and it wasn't Stairway. Ah, oh, it's going to fucking drive me nuts. Yeah, I'm not gonna be able to find it. But he like put like a mullet wig on and stuff like that, and they had like the drummer from Baroness was on it, and a guy from Felter Talk. Um, was it Van Halen song? Maybe it was a Van Halen song. It was a Van Halen song. Maybe. Yeah. There's I, a lot of those popping up. Yeah, they're funny. The, my favorite one is Rocket Queen. That was the one I sent to you and Chris. Oh, that's on the the black metal makeup guys. Yes. Show whatever. I can't yeah. think that's called. I can't remember either. But um. Two minutes to late night. That there it is. There you go. So, Rocket Queen, the story, of course, where the girls getting fucked in it. Yeah. You know, and they recorded it. So he's fucking spilling coffee in himself, going ah ah, like doing it. Like it's pretty fucking hilarious. I have to, yeah, I it's, it's that. really good. So, but anyways, Flotsam and Jetsam. Yeah. Um, we you haven't know, seen any other you know songs us. yet on you uh, know us. Um, <laughs> this is what we do. So. I do want to talk about because we're talking about Newstead and, and he kind of seems to be like one of the focal points, obviously, as a songwriter. But in the pop off book, they talk a little bit about um, they get Eric, a.k.a. the vocalist, to sort of talk about what it was like to lose Newstead to Metallica. And he says, I can remember a few weeks before we got the phone call. He was reading the article in the paper about Cliff Burton dying. 
and he was all excited about it. He's like, Cliff Burton died. I'm so bummed. I'm super excited at the same time. I was like, what are you excited about? He said, I'm going to be in Metallica's next bass player. We were all laughing at him saying, yeah, right. Sure enough, a couple of weeks later, he got the call. He went out for the audition and we were all hoping and praying he was going to mess up. He called us back the next night saying he had to go for callbacks. We thought, that's it. We've lost him. Sure enough, he was gone. We wished him well. We were really excited for him. At the same time, we were just going, what are we going to do now? None of us did anything. Jason did all the songwriting, all the lyric writing, all the business, all the interviews. He did all of it. All we did was do what we, he told us to do. So when we left, we were just sitting around with our thumbs up our butt going, uh, nobody knows how to do anything. What are we going to do? The next thing you know, we're turning on a new, new bass players to try and fix everything, try to save everything. When what we should have been doing was doing it all ourselves and quit being lazy. Everything turned out pretty cool anyways. Once in a while, he'll come into town for somebody's birthday or, or whatever. Last year sometime, we, he called us up, and we got the original band back together. Before we were Flotsam, we were called the Dogs. So we got all the original dog members back together just for practice that night of drinking and stuff. We got together and jammed old priests and maiden stuff. So, so didn't um, Slagle? Isn't he the one that hooked him up? I think so. Yeah, because he was Slagle was kind of like because Flotsam was on Metal Blade. So yeah, he would have known. And he was like friends was with Lars and James. So yeah, yeah makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and so so they talk about one of the last times they jammed together, and they said this was not long before he started thinking about what jerks Metallica were the last time we jammed. They told him to stay away from us. They didn't want us tagging along on his coat strings and making something out of ourselves off of his name. So They were very... I don't think they ever believed their hype until... I don't even know if they still do now. That's one of those things, but they still have... They don't have that thrust to still Yeah. really, like kick it out because i i keep holding out that we're going to get a great metallica record again but i don't think it's going to happen i mean we got some great songs in the last one yeah you know i mean uh i i just want when i heard spit out the bone and things some of that kind of stuff is yeah those, like those twin like yeah. harm the twin harmonies shit please fucking do some more of that dude that's why i fell in love with that band to begin with yeah, yeah they're just they're they're in their own bubble yeah they're i mean the they're, they're kind of disconnected it's, 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 from... I couldn't even imagine yeah. trying to be creative in that that kind of world where you've just got like six assistants and people are like, oh, yeah, that's great. That's awesome, man. Yeah, everything sounds great. Yeah. yeah. yeah I thought like if Rick Rubin came probably the closest, but he, yeah. didn't, he wasn't able to produce them down to making an album that was a good like 38, 40 minutes. It was I like... I don't think that's going to Way exist. too long. I don't even know if that was really... I mean, Masters was long. You know, I mean, he had two eight-minute-long songs and a lot What's of, like, five or six 40, 42 minutes? No, it's got to be longer than that. I mean, you it's got nice 16 minutes and two songs, three songs that are eight minutes long. Masters, Disposable Heroes, and Orion. So that's 24 minutes and just three songs, and you still had five songs left. I'm betting it's, like, 55 minutes. Maybe You're very close. Was it? Was it fifty four forty seven? Whoa, that's damn. That's pretty long for that era. That's what I mean. Yeah, so yeah. I, I think they were already kind of long in the tooth with like how they kind of thought about things and. But had, they did longer songs, not a lot of crappy songs. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, it's I don't know, and I mean I you know Newstead certainly is not the antidote for that because we just were talking about two songs that were eight and nine minutes long. So I, I would love for them to do more long songs. Yeah, but just not long albums that are. Songs where they'd be a great EP. 
Well, think about like Load and Reload. If you took the best of those two albums into one album, it's a great album. Is it? It is. That there are songs there that are. It's kind of like Sound of White Noise. You can't think of it in the same sort of way, but like yeah. they wrote good songs. Like the uh, thing that, Until It Sleeps is like a great kind of Danzig song. And the, you know? the problem is the lyrics are bad. Yeah, I feel like the lyrics on both of those albums are bad. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Like I feel like Black Album has enough decent lyrics where you're not talking about fuel and yeah is fuel on that fuel's on uh oh shit you're right reload yeah. or load give me fuel give me fire just it just sounds so like macomb county to me here we <laughs> are not a whole lot of people are gonna understand here we reference. are yeah no you're it's you're not wrong about that oh yeah ain't my bitch yeah so you had until it sleeps king nothing was fine here are the days pretty good bleeding me Speaking of great, you know, like decent eight minute long Metallica songs, that might be my favorite song on that. And Outlaw Torn. Outlaw uh, Torn's, yeah. Yeah, it's like that. almost 10 minutes long. So you take those songs and maybe one other that I'm just kind of missing off that record. And then what could we put from Reload? This is going to be <laughs> tough. Um, you're going to put. Not oh, fuel. No. I guess. Is reload fuel? Oh, yeah. It starts with fuel. Memory Remains is fine. It's okay. That's got, uh, what's her nuts? Marianne Faithful. Marianne Faithful, yeah. Unforgiven 2, I don't remember. I remember more Unforgiven 3, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, all right. This is a tougher record for me. It's got a lot of shit on it. I don't know this record in, in hindsight. Like, I really don't. I don't even know if I own this. I don't think I do. Do you no. own this? No. Okay. I own Load. I'm okay. I don't own Load. Yeah. I mean, Load's something I picked up for like a dollar on you know, like UCD. I, didn't I mean, I will say that Reload is better than St. Anger. Yeah. But, again, I've I've never spent any time with St. Anger. I listened to the whole thing Did over, you really? over uh, COVID. Did you? Lockdown. Were you Fuck just feeling like, like cynical about No, human, I was. No, I was beings? thinking like, I'm going to give this another, to see if there's anything. Yeah. There's not a single song. Where I ever want to hear it again. What about Invisible Kid, though? <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> like, the lyrics make it even dumber. Yeah. It's weird. What a weird state of mind. I mean, I could I can talk about this band forever. It's, yeah. it's weird. That it's, it's too bad. It's too bad they didn't let like Newstead write some really songs. It's like that really great <laughs> fucking love you had, and then you're yeah. 70 years old. And you're it really broke your of, heart. Yeah. yeah. It just continues to disappoint like, you. God, it was so good, but then... God, we had all these shitty albums together afterwards. You know, and on occasion you have moments where you feel close with that person again. Like I did at times on Death Magnetic and at times on Hardwired. Not the whole time. Well, and like some kind of monster. I feel like I know, like, I intimately know these people in in a way that, you know, that I care about them. Well, they were all over Headbangers Ball when we were kids. And that's when like live shit and Binge and Purge came out. It's the first band I think that I loved but also they started putting out so many like videos yeah that like you got to see like behind the scenes shit and studio that's the first real studio experience i saw mm-hmm. and then like yeah live shit binge and purge um before uh year and a half of life was like kind of a that was kind of a breakthrough thing it was, yeah yeah they definitely like were one of the first metal bands to sort of go into yeah. that mm-hmm. and like they were the biggest band 
out of the music that I really liked. Sure. That like my mom knew who they were. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know you like that dismember band. They're pretty good. But... What about Metallica? They seem like fine. <laughs> seem like fine nice people. guys. They don't want to override their overtures or anything. Override their overtures. <laughs> that would be incredible if your mom ever had that conversation with you. Well, that that was the conversation. Well, the, I showed her my dismember albums and that explains. Okay, never said why you was she fascinated by what the pieces cover or the i showed her scene i showed her i had pieces and a decent i've seen those are the two that i showed her and i was just like it's just that's just like horror it's not you don't have to worry about me i'm not gonna kill any special effects i just like this stuff it's fun yeah Yeah, these guys aren't dead they're singing on the record yeah Yeah. they don't have five heads tied together (laughs) with ponytails it's cool (laughs) (laughs) but plots majestic yeah but uh yeah, so we're going to kind of wrap up Doomsday here and kind of get into uh, No Place for Disgrace. And I don't know No Place for Disgrace in the way that I know Doomsday. I spent a lot more time with that record. But I will say this, when we were, you know, putting things out there on Facebook and stuff, um, the the people that kind of turned me on uh, were, were Eula Gerhardt, um and maybe Jeff Wagner. And there were a couple other trusted people that commented, uh, you know, somebody commented Doomsday for Deceiver would be a great their vote and then underneath it eula was like actually i like no place for disgrace better and then like wagner said i think the same thing and i was like wait there's a second flotsam and jetsam that's worth like it i I was i was like learning and evolving and stuff because i just assumed that this was the anomaly this was the newstead record metal maniac scribes i trust those guys yeah Yeah. you know and eula's got good taste and, and you know, so Wagner, I agree with on a lot of things. I think they're about things. the same age, too. Yeah. And so, so they, I just this figured, would have been more on their radar than, yep. than and us. So, and, and he likes really interesting progressive thrash. Mm-hmm. And so I said, well, I'll, I'll check this record out. And uh, so we're going to wrap up with a tune called uh, She Took an Axe, the, you know, the last song we're going to play from Doomsday, which is the Lizzie Borden tune. Um, very King Diamond, very Nuavum, very speed metal. The opening riff is the 22 Acacia Avenue. Yeah. Damn if you're feeling down, depressed, and lonely. But the the album did big enough, even with Newstead leaving that, they got signed by Electra Records, and they um, add Troy Gregory on bass uh, to replace Newstead. What a fucking... How stressful is that, man? It's tough. <laughs> I mean, it was tough both ways, right? It's tough for Newstead to be replacing Cliff. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of like a both guys are kind of... But, like, yeah, like, your main songwriter leaves, and you get a major sign like wow yeah it is, it is step strange. up or fucking step off man oh shit yep and so you know they they did a cover on this record of uh elton john um saturday night's all right for a fight which i think was kind of a like a minor kind of what record was that on do you remember the elton john yeah was uh, off some of those, those one of the couple? early ones yeah okay. one of the like goodbye yellow brick road or, or something like that you know um, jerry cantrell was a big fan of yeah, I could see that. That's why I thought yeah. that. Oh, there you go. Book, yeah. I have a couple of those first few Eltons that I got for Rock and Roll History, and they're good. Yeah, I always liked um, them as a kid. Yeah, I I just, like, after the 70s, I, yeah. No. Ken Lewin, not enough for you? No. It's like Stevie Wonder in, like, the 80s. It just doesn't work anymore, and yeah. that's okay. Yeah. There's a place for him, but, but yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah, it's not, not for You me. weren't a fan of Ebony and Ivory? I was a bigger fan of Joe Piscopo's Saturday yeah, Night Yes, yes. With Eddie Murphy. I was, I'm as blind as a bat and I can't see. You know, the Ebony Ivory, 
I liked was um, Phil Collins and the dude from um, like Ohio Players or Earth, Wind, and Fire. Um, no, I, I wouldn't know his name. Um, now I gotta look it up. Yeah, the, our Patreons want to know. You'll know this song. The next so, verse of that other one I can't say because why? It's just our patrons. They don't care. No, because it's a it's a word you don't say anymore. Oh, we'll just say the n word. Not no, it say was it. it wasn't the n word. Oh, it was Frank's a fake fake Sinatra and Stevie Wonder saying. Oh, the R word. No, no, you can say retard. Oh, okay. because. Uh, I have a quote that's fire retardant. <laughs> Philip Bailey. I've never heard his name before. Oh, yeah. He was the singer, I think, for like um, Earth, Wind, Fire. So, ready for it? You're, they're going to hear it, too. I just want you to know. This is Phil and Phil. This is my favorite uh, Ivory and Ebony and Ivory. Ebony and Ivory. Phil doing the drums too. You gotta know Easy Lover. They turn into a medley. Yeah. She's an easy lover. No, but this is the same song. It's just a black and a white guy singing together. That's what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was a cover of the No, 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 no. No, I was just trying to be clever okay. and say that's okay. my fit. This guy and Phil Collins singing together is my kind of. Uh, he needs to grow a beard, man. Well, <clears throat> I think he's old. I think he's. But he's still he's, he's aging he's gracefully. Got a bad face. Yeah. Um, so I'm just happy that we got Easy Lover played on a Patreon show. Well, didn't uh, didn't McCartney do that too? Uh, McCartney did some terrible combination. He's done a lot of terrible stuff in his life. Yeah. God dang. Except for View to a Kill, man. What a cool no, song. No, no, that's Duran Duran. You're or, thinking uh, Live and Let Die. Live and Let Die. Yeah, yeah. That's a great Duran Duran song. Now, yeah. that's a whole other Patreon episode True. of me ranking Bond. James Bond theme songs. I would love to do that. So if you guys want us to do that, let us know because we're on your dime. So just tell us. I like that Chris Cornell song. It's great. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, that was like the one of the few modern ones I actually liked. The Adele song I for Skyfall, I think is pretty fucking killer. I don't really remember that enough. To um, remember. It's good. I almost, uh, there's another song that kind of sounds like Portishead. Oh, it might be, it's garbage. The okay. world is not enough. It kind of has like a, a Portishead kind of vibe to it. Of the modern songs. Who'd, what was the, the Casino Royale? Was that the Chris Cornell one? Yeah. Okay. That just made you know sense because it was such a, yeah. like, that was like a revelation when we saw that. The one I hated was the last one. Oh, I don't like that guy at all. Sam Sam Schmuck. Oh, the know. boy George wannabe guy? I, is that is is he? He has that like falsetto voice, Sam yeah. Smith. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like him at all. Fuck. Yeah. That was bad. I don't like him. Um What was the last Bond movie? Spectre. I don't think I saw that. It's good uh it was it had good moments. Do you think the new one's ever gonna come out? Well, you they know, got rewritten social justice warrior style. Uh, so, who, what a movie to try to do that with, huh? Uh, <laughs> You've seen how how I well mean, it's done with all the other Hollywood movies. That I nobody mean, James, cares about James now? Bond 
like I get he's got you know they address some of that a little bit with like the Pierce Brosnan character that he's kind of like a relic of the Cold War, but that's kind of part of like the yeah that's part of the story. He just, yeah, like, kind of they got um, Phoebe Walter Bridge, who I enjoy a lot for like Fleabag. Love Fleabag. She was hired to punch up the script, and then I don't know what happened to it, but I'm pretty sure they're probably going to re-edit it again because nobody wants. None of that stuff that's super politically charged is doing well. Yeah. Nobody wants to see that shit. It's fine to be in other places, but I don't think yeah. in mass market media it really has a whole lot of... If that's beating you over the head... It's got to be done like the way like they did it in 70s cinema or, yeah. or whatever, like where it's it's subversive, but it's like built in. Um, you got to think about it a little bit. Yeah. Like even the way like... Like Spike Lee did it in Black Klansman, I didn't mind because he the movie was about what it was about, and then at the end there was a montage that connected. That one made total sense. Birth to of a Nation through yeah. Charlottesville, and you're talking about perception of like where the roots of of this, yeah, where the roots of the KKK come from, yeah, you know, like perfect. That's, That's a perfect form to have that conversation. That works perfect, but when you say you know, like Get Out to <clears throat> me was a perfect movie about a bigger issue yes that was entertaining for what it was packaged inside deeper things but what i don't enjoy is like captain marvel where if you criticize the movie you don't like women those are the kind of problematic things that happen with a clunky story or like the 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 mlk biopic yeah i didn't see that that was not very good and if anybody criticized it you're racist it was that fucking what the hell's her name? She she did that thirteen documentary. Oh, Ava DuVernay. Yeah, she's so. she's really good on some stuff, and then I yeah, want to just like great. throw her down the stairs yeah. because she's just so much. She's very she's a she's a intellectual liberal. I would put that in quotation marks, but in her mind, but like yes. she's she's part of like yeah. that. She's a little disconnected, I think sometimes. Maybe, yeah, you know. I would completely agree. But um. I was going to say, so Captain Marvel is like an interesting one because I have a lot of interesting conversations with people. And I think the thing, I think the concept of Captain Marvel, maybe not so much the execution to me is a lot more interesting. The comic was more interesting. The revamped comic was Got more it. interesting. I never read it, but I heard good things about it. This, yeah. What I thought was really cool is the sort of like the idea of the sort of inverse origin story that like. She starts the movie as the most powerful character in the world, but she's being like that power is being manipulated and controlled by like males that are scared of her power, like Jude Law's character. Like yeah. to me, that's a really cool inverse where it's the opposite of a normal character who's discovering their powers. Sure, she has all the power, but like she's not allowed to access it because but of she her gender and, and things like that. So what's she that? She doesn't struggle at all. Just like Ray doesn't struggle for anything in Star Wars movies. Yeah, which makes I mean, her, she makes has to like, struggle. She has to struggle, I think, against like the oppressive forces that are like kind of controlling her and manipulating her, and she's got to like break free of that in order to like rediscover the power she's always had. But barely. Yeah, and and that's like a whole different debate. But yeah. I'm just saying, like I said, I think the idea of that as a story is cool because it, it supplants like the normal origin story, which is weak character disco- like becomes strong and discovers yeah. their hero. She's literally the strongest person in the movie at the very beginning, but she doesn't know it and you don't know it because she's not allowed to know it. 
And to me, there's like a lot of like metaphor there about like, like in coaching and teaching like females, it's really interesting because they, they do lack self-confidence because they haven't been allowed to be self-confident. Sure. Yeah. And so I think that like that woven into Captain Marvel is interesting to me from an intellectual standpoint. I'm not, I don't really like the movie that much. It has the thing. Yeah. You has, know what I mean? Like it has I just, narrative like, potential, but yeah. it seems squandered. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think that there was, like, a really good idea there. I don't know how much it was micromanaged. Because it was a female director, so I think she was trying to push through some of that. But I think the Marvel executives, like, well, you, micromanaged You've seen how stuff. much, like, the um, like the Disney Star Wars stuff has been micromanaged. Every single movie has been recut oh, yeah. hugely. Yeah. And I think a lot of that stuff all comes down to just, you know, the company dictates, like, okay, what can we do? And also the mass marketing notes. Yeah. That they're not made for American audiences anymore. That's part of it, but they're made for international audience. But does an international audience even care about that? They make a lot of money in China and India and those places. Yeah. It's, it's I can't weird. wait till making a lot of money and like doing good stuff. Hopefully, yeah. this whole thing, yeah. I hope this art, is like the art 70s. Art and commerce is, is like and a weird thing. These are like, hopefully, these are kind of like the big like sword and sandal Bible epics. Yeah. It's like that Cleopatra. Just fucking destroy the whole system and yeah. we can start over again. It's been long enough, man. And that's what we talk about, like in the in my film classes, how like Easy Rider was so profound in that it wasn't that it was just a really cheap indie movie. It's that people flocked to see it. Yeah. And that's what we unfortunately have to do. And my my fear is this: is that even if like this generation's Easy Rider was released, would it even be released to theaters, or would it just be released through Netflix? Well, I don't. I, don't, I think theaters are a bygone thing. Which, I don't think kids give a shit about theaters. Which makes me sad because I do like theaters. Like, I like the yeah. cinematic experience. Some of the which, trappings are kind of bullshit and the, the prices and, and some of yeah. it. But there is something still, like, magical. I agree. Me, you know? But if you never grew up with it, is there? Just, like, people love music, but they never put a record on a player or put a CD, play, a CD on a player or a cassette. or Like, physical media is a way to enjoy it, but I think that's becoming a just like theaters are becoming like less and less. Yeah. And maybe what theaters can turn into is like places where you can go and watch Citizen Kane and Vertigo and, and, and that's fine too. That's what I, I would enjoy. I, I can handle that. Yeah. You know, um, you know, maybe the big tent movie is, is done or maybe there are a few theaters that still like, will will throw the, you know, to go see like a star Wars type movie on that big screen with sound and, and all the stuff that yeah. like, that adds to those movies because when you watch them on a small screen, you're kind of like, eh, okay. <laughs> but with, I care a little less about these movies. But look at like you're you're not a rich man. Yeah. You have a home theater in your basement. Yeah. That rivals probably a thirty thousand dollar theater in the eighties. That's true. And like that's not an unheard of thing anymore for people to have. We've sure. got there's people next door just oh, banging yeah, the fuck out of each other. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty wild. <laughs> pretty wild. I made that porn reference in that one episode about uh, Dark Angel being like uh, plotless porn, and now now we're being haunted. Do you by remember it. the comic Dark Angel or the TV show with uh, Jessica Alba? I do, only because uh, it was my based old, on a crappy comic. My old roommate, our old uh, Eclipse writer, was obsessed with Jessica Alba. Uh, Brian, you know she was she was cute, but she never really like she had no personality. Really, she was kind no, of like she's kind of vapid. Speaking of world is not enough. She was very much like Denise Richards, kind of in that kind of. She only came once a year. Yeah, 
Jones. Christmas. <laughs> Dr. Christmas Jones. No, the actress, just like her, kind of like, I don't know. There wasn't much going on with Denise Richards sometimes. No, she was very, she seemed like a sex bot. Yeah. Uh, Jessica Alba, though, the movie Brian made us watch all the time when he was living with me was Idle Hands. Because there's a scene where she's like crawling and she's wearing like, she's very skimp, skimpy or whatever. Anyways, yeah. I don't want to go on like a weird, like Jessica Alba. Jessica Alba. <laughs> but, but it, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you had Dark Angel. And then what was the show that had Faith from Buffy on it? Um, That was similar to Dark Angel. I feel like there was like oh, another oh. kind of spinoff. Or maybe I'm just thinking of Faith from Buffy being like Jessica Alba on Dark Angel in terms of like kind of an edgy. Well, she she went to Dollhouse, so she's in something else. Yeah, True Calling. Do you oh, remember that funny. show? I forgot about that. It was that kind, show, was that kind of like Dark Angel? I never really saw much of it. I don't know. I don't remember. Me neither. Hmm. Must have been really great. I'm sure it was fantastic. I'll just go watch Next Generation. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Um, so speaking of crazy women, Lizzie Borden, Ooh. she took an ax. Yeah. Speaking so, of Metal Blade Records. You got it. You got it. Um, and so anyway, so now we go from, she took an ax in the last tune from Doomsday for the Deceiver into, um, a pair of tunes to kind of introduce No Place for Disgrace before we kind of wrap everything up. And, um, you know, the record, remember I promised you this was going to happen in, I think one our last episode we recorded. This record, if you listen to the whole thing, and you probably didn't yet, you probably just listened to a couple of choice tracks. I remind... listened to all of Doomsday, but... Yeah. Okay, yeah. So this one reminds me the most of Riot Thundersteel. You know, like, like describe Riot Thundersteel to somebody. Because that's what this record is. It's like, what is this? It's not quite thrash. It's not quite Riot's... traditional metal. Thundersteel it's... is speed metal to me. It's okay. in the German sense of... Speed metal. But it's American too, so it Which has American weird. sensibilities, and yeah. to me, that's what I'm hearing all what over. What year's Thundersteel? Is that 87? same year? Eighty-eight. Eighty-eight. Okay. Yeah. Nothing uh, in the U.S. sounded like Thundersteel in '88. Yeah. Nothing that I have ever heard. The only thing that like the, that also like so I think you would like the second one a lot. Yeah. In the same way that Wagner and Eula say it's even better than Doomsday, especially if you're a Riot Thundersteel guy. Uh, there's another. It kind of reminds me of Sabbath too. It's got mm-hmm. some weird Sabbathisms. There's a band I recently picked up. Uh, I, I think I showed you the cover because the cover's so fucking terrible. But it's like a really cool thrash metal-ish record called Scanner Hypertrace. And it looks like a fucking shitty like robot that a kid would draw with like a cyborg. Like they went to see Terminator and they yes. went to draw it with Yeah, their, yeah. have you their... seen that cover? Yes. It's it's surprisingly <laughs> a great record. Like really good. I'm not surprised. Um and then there's another band, Realm. Do you remember those guys, Realm? No. I think they were on Roadrunner. I've got both their records and they're good, but the vocalist from Realm reminds me of Eric from this band. Kind of Okay. Kind of has that same kind of range. His name is Mark Antoni and uh yeah, Realm was a band we got a lot of votes to do as well. Hmm. Uh, Never heard probably of Probably won't, but they're Metal Mind Records. So when they did like those Roadrunner releases, that's why they're like those Metal Minds. Was, was that like a only like a Dutch released band or something? Because Roadrunner was originally a Dutch label. Yep. And then kind of became known more of like the U.S. branch. Yeah. Right? I think. With like Bonnie Connor and all those, and that dude. Looking up Realm, because Realm Road were Runner, from, Road they're Racer. from Milwaukee. You probably saw them at Milwaukee Metal Fest. 
right by because the name. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Realm. Unless instead of chaos, endless man, war. Endless war. Ninety-three percent. Nineteen eighty-eight, and then their second record. Su suicidity. Fuck yes. That's a good one. Yeah, it's a real good one. Very high school. Yep, suicidity guys. That's deep. What is that record about? No, it's actually a cool <laughs> record. It's actually not bad. But Endless War, you probably have seen the cover of before. It had like uh like the Trojan horse kind of looking thing. Oh. You ever see that before? No. It's a good record. It's kinda of, it was kinda of hard to find, but yeah. Uh yeah, Roadrunner, R C records. Mm. So anyways, those are kind of the bands that sort of come to mind with like how weird this this kind of second uh flotsam is. And so we're going to get into uh, a pair of tunes to kind of kick things off before we wrap things up. And we've got the title track, No Place for Disgrace. And I kind of wrote that this has all the kitchen sink, thrash, maiden, Queensryche trappings, but with a much fuller, better produced sound. So you can tell they've got Electra Records money being pumped into them now a little bit. Yeah. And then the second tune, uh, Any Terror. Northeast Terror? I guess Northeast Terror, New England Terror. I don't know, Northeast. Um Really cool master of puppets like palm muting and shit here. And a lot of awesome guitar solo trade-offs back, you know, a lot of Eastern scales. You get a cool bass break. It's got, it's, it, I don't know, it's good. It's Flotsam and Jetsam. Yeah, it's Flotsam and Jetsam. That's where you're going to get you here. You get the right? Flotsam and Jetsam. Yeah, you fucking are going to get it here. Yeah, exactly. So enjoy. Start from sh- the sea and then you get back to the sea. <laughs> yes. You get New England terror from, from, from Arizona. Aye. Yeah. Aye. Or New. New Brunswick. Is Nebraska? What's the what's the is it any Nebraska on the postal code? Yeah, could be Nebraska terror. Usually they don't have periods. Like I know. That. I'm just I'm trying to think outside the box. So we got she took an axe. No place for disgrace from the no place for disgrace, and then newy any terror. Enjoy new equatorial terror. <laughs>
any terror, no place for disgrace, and she took an axe. Sorry, a little slap happy. Been in the recording realm for a while. Been in the booth for a while. Yeah, I've been in the booth for a while, but that's all right. It's a Patreon show, and you guys kind of like uh, some of the looseness a little bit. This is like an after-hours lecture or something. There where you go. You talk about what you're supposed to talk about, and then you wildly go off track for a little while, then come back. <laughs> that's, that's who we are. That's who we are. Or it's like going. It's like going to a party with one of your college professors for the first time, and you start talking about a little bit of. A little bit of what, what you're you doing in class, class and, and, then, like, and then all of a sudden... You're did you ever like, know that this guy butt-fucked a horse in this movie? Ah. You're in some side notes, man. Yeah. In fact, we got in the conversation in my class on Jaws, and I ended up telling him that story about getting left in the fucking ocean. And, <laughs> like, it just then kinda, they made a movie about it yeah, called... Uh, yeah, called Open Water. Open Water, yeah. yeah exactly. I lived that. Um, you should sue them for some money, man. I should. Like the local <laughs> F- Fijian operation. No, that, that movie. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. I wish I would have tried to write my uh, my movie didn't have like a no one dies. No, you made it back. I did. Were you surprised back. you made it? Yeah, you know we're just, a, we were just talking about sad happen. musicals, like sad musicals, like no one likes us. <laughs> You're a, saying the whole way back. Yeah, yeah. And then you make it. And <laughs> you make it like okay. who wants to see that movie? You need to. I need to die. No, you need, or to, I need like, to lose a leg. You need to run into some sirens. Yeah, there's got to be. Some. You need to. Like you know, bring it back to some, some classical literature. Naked mermaids for yes. sure. Yes. Yeah, if we're gonna sell to the international market, that's, what, so. that's what we want. But uh, they talk about in Popoff's book a little bit about why they decided to uh, to throw an Elton John song on there. <laughs> they said it was actually suggested by an A and R person at Electra. Go figure. Big, big surprise. Um, we all kind of liked Elton John at the time. We grew up listening to him, so we tried it and we tried to like turn it into heavy guitar and. Yep. There you go. They said we have pages and pages of cover songs that we'd like to try. We have a lot. Whatever that means. That that almost sounds like a threat. <laughs> we have a lot of cover songs. So, and for Mark and I, this is where we get off the uh, Flotsam and Jetsam train right here. So, yeah, we get um, thrown back into the water at this point. Yeah, we're we're done with them. Yeah, they're they've become an albatross. If we're going to keep going using uh, out out at sea nautical metaphors. metaphors. Yeah, we need a nautical episode if we're talking this much about Jaws and shit like that. We could have Keelhaul in an episode. Oh fuck yes! Yeah, we did a Keelhaul episode. Go listen to our old Keelhaul episode back in like episode like twenty four. Yeah, I, I found my uh, twenty three for what the fuck was the album called? Uh, something doesn't change without notice. Mm. Um, I had a picture disc of it that I forgot I had because I had no spine, and I was going through my shit. I was like, oh fuck! And I listened to it like five times in a row. I was like, god damn, that's a good record. That was a nice record. All their records are great. They're yeah, what a what a underrated. Thank band. you, Cleveland. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Ohio. So. Thanks, Will Sharf. Yep. Oh, those guys. They played at a record store. I think some of you don't know that, but they we kind of became friends with them and they needed a gig because something got canceled and we offered them fifty bucks. To come. Well, we offered them whatever we could get. We got them more way more than that. We did. Yeah. yeah. All those other and bands all that played for shit. free. Yeah. Which that was they, pretty cool. It was cool. I felt bad for those other local bands, but eh, fuck it, whatever. Local bands, man. Yeah. And like his his snare drum got destroyed and he had to borrow from what was that sing songy weirdo band kids? You like subscribed a lot of You subscribed band. a lot of Gannon? No, they weren't there. Uh, yeah, I thought Gannon played that night, weren't they? No. You sure? Positive. Oh, okay. I thought Kenny told me that Gannon played. No, he didn't fucking play that band. He just he's invented he's mythology. Full shit. They were it was um Malpuzzle shit. Yeah. It was that, that red headed 
stepchild kid. <laughs> that eventually would go on to have like horns and stuff in the band. Do you remember that band? Oof. It was like my art teacher's son or something. Holy shit, you lost me here. I don't remember. I gotta look at that flyer. Something joint. My art teacher, uh, Mrs. Joint, was her. She had the red. Oh, Anathalo. Anathalo. They played that. Night. When you said art teacher, I was thinking of a college professor. So. Oh no, no. Yeah, I got Matt Joint from Anathalo. I got him into Enslaved. He fucking loved black metal. And. But does he still? I think so. I don't know. It's hard to say. I know a lot of those guys because they were all good friends of ours. They were they were like the younger brothers of all of our friends. Yeah. And um, Matt's oldest sister dated uh, Tweed for like three years. Liz, Joint. Okay. Now she's married to someone else. And I'm sure our patrons are fucking fascinated They're, by this yeah. story. Now, if you guys want to go back to Mall Pleasant High School and find some now, books on To eBay, be fair, Anathalo had like a big following. Like They, they like, got on a bigger indie like, label. Like legit, yeah. yeah so. I just did not give a shit about what they did. They're but. interesting. I I didn't like choose to listen to them, but I was like proud that they were doing like not just boring, stupid shit. They, they were, were doing like Silver Mount Zion yeah. type stuff, but not as interesting. Not as interesting. But, like, it was quirky enough that, like, they were carving out a niche for themselves. Yeah, and for a very small town that we grew up in, it's kind of cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, we hope that you kind of enjoyed our little exploration into this. I don't know if you learned anything uh, about Flotsam and Jetsam, but Mark and, I, Mark and I have limited knowledge on these guys for, for the reasons we sort of described. And so we're being kind of honest and, and frank about the fact that, like, this is a band we just are kind of getting into we kind of, you know, people wanted to hear them on the, the thrash thing. And so we thought, well, we'll have fun with it with you guys. Um, the song we're going to end with, though, is I Live, You Die, which is a cool song uh, about kind of gladiator battles. Um, and it kind of has that, like, sort of feel. Um, it's got kind of dual melodies. It's kind of got, like, a battle feel yeah. in, a, in a cool way. Um, and, the, you know, it kind of sounds like, a, do you know that band Artillery? German. I've never heard them, but I've heard they're, them. They're cool. Yeah. This kind of reminds me of that, like musically a little bit. Okay. So it's got like a definite German feel. It's got like that more upbeat thing that like Blind Guardian and Halloween do really Oktoberfest well. Oktoberfest vibe. Yeah. There yep. you go. Yep. Some, some Getting drunk and singing together. There it is. Sing song, sing song. So, but um, again, we appreciate you guys as patrons. We hope you had fun with this. We promise we'll be a little bit more serious on the next one. But honestly, you learned a lot about nobody's Jaws. Nobody's ever complained. You learned a lot about Jaws. I have a great. My favorite thing is to do these Patreon episodes because they're completely, yeah. They're you have a skeleton of a thing, it's, but then we can go anywhere. And I can talk about film and Buffy and all kinds of fun shit. Yeah, I can talk about yeah. all kinds of shit. Yeah, just ad nauseum. Yeah, whatever comes to my mind. <laughs> you were quoting. What were the lyrics you were quoting earlier? Oh, we've just played a Phil Collins song. We played Easy yeah. Lover. Yeah. That that got played on a Patreon show. I just want you to know, right? Right, Davos. Davos the dog is here with us. He's excited. So. But um, I reenacted yeah. a Saturday Night Live skit for you that nobody ever wants to see. <laughs> so, so two years ago, would you have thought that you'd be sitting here saying like you you're mind blown by Flotsam and Jetsam? Because that that would have been like kind of a surprising idea to me. You know, As, year, year to year, I'm just glad that I'm still here. <laughs> you're just so you're just positive. If I can, yeah. If I can, every year that I can come up with. I mean, it's been my entire life now. Well, yeah. entire adult life and teenage life. Every year I find bands that completely blow me away every year multiple times, which that you maybe dismissed previously. Yeah. Yeah. Or I just had I love being proved wrong when stuff is great. Sure. So yeah. that's it's fun. Yeah, it's great. I mean I, I kind of expected to not like it that much, and so when it 
it hits me in the way that it hit me, especially with like the the Doomsday record. I just, you know, I don't know. I'm gonna now that I just I just got no place for disgrace in the mail like two days ago, so I haven't had a lot of time to digest it. But I did, like I said, curate a couple songs from it that I thought were highlights, at least yeah. from what I could gather. And so I think that's a record that I think the the more I spend some time with it, according to Eula and, and Jeff, that it's a solid record. Nah, we know where so, you live. Yeah. Fuck you guys. We're going to so, mail it to you. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, thank you, patrons. We appreciate it. You know where to find us already. You're a priority on our social media. You already are patrons. So we don't need to go through all that. But if you have any thoughts or feedback on the show for us, uh, shoot us an email, obviously, or, or get a hold of us through Patreon. Uh, we do appreciate when you guys give us feedback on, on what you like about the shows and all that other good stuff. So for No Place for Disgrace, Flotsam and Jetsam, and I Live, You Die, I am Jason. And I live, you die. I would great, love to give them a comma in there to make it more accurate. It's really, uh, it's really like an A minus. Yeah. Yeah, you know, or B plus. Maybe even best. a colon you could put in there. I think oh. you might be able to work that in, possibly. But I'm Mark. What about what about <laughs> I live, you die? Dot dot dot. I live, comma you die. Dot dot dot. That sounds more menacing. I like yeah. That. Now I don't know. I think it, that's you need you need more. It needs more grammar in there. Or they could take that quote about. We have a whole list of covers, dot, dot, dot. Like, to me, it's menacing. Like, the next album we could release is just us doing cover songs. All John covers. Seals and Cross. Yeah, that could be be really a disaster. So, enjoy, patrons. We'll catch you on the the flip side, as they say, on the the streets. (laughs) Back 35 years ago.
Give me 